Good morning and welcome to another episode within this season. Um, today we will be doing another CPD article. Um, so this one is called Australians Buying Now and Paying Later. This was released on the 1st of March 2021 and you can access it through your Kaplan portal. What is BNPL? A BNPL arrangement enables a consumer to buy and receive goods and services immediately without having to pay the full amount up front. Instead, the consumer will pay progressively for their goods and services over a specified period, completing their payments potentially well after having obtained the relevant goods and services. Typically, a BNPL arrangement encompasses three contracts which are between the consumer and the BNPL provider, the consumer and the merchant, the BNPL provider and the merchant. A buy now, pay later arrangement. So there's a little diagram here. So at the top, there's the consumer, which then goes down to the merchant, which then goes to the, it's a triangle pretty much, which then has the buy, buy now, pay later provider. So. Number one, consumer buys and receives goods or services from the merchant. Number two, provider pays the merchant for the purchase. Um, and then number three, consumer repays the provider for their purchase over time. BNPL provides pay then charge a merchant when a consumer utilizes a BNPL arrangement. They may also charge consumers for using these arrangements. BNPL arrangements can be used at an increasing number of retailers in Australia, including those who operate. Uh, so there's three pictures here. So the first one is a little candy shop, which says in store. Uh, the next one is a little computer, which would mean online. And then also a front door, which would be through door to door sales. BNPL arrangements can represent a cheaper option for consumers than some other forms of credit because usually consumers are not charged interest when utilizing these arrangements and limits, ex limits exist as to the fees that BNPL providers can charge. That BNPL, BNPL providers can charge consumers missed payment fees as well. BNPL versus lay-by. So just a little definition of lay-by. So lay-by, a lay-by agreement involves a consumer paying for the goods in several installments and receiving the goods only when the full price of the goods has been paid. Any deposit a consumer pays is considered as an installment. These are similar, there are similarities between the concept of a BNPL agreement and a lay-by agreement. However, a BNPL provider typically pays the merchant for the goods and this enables the consumer to take them home immediately. Additionally, lay-by can be a cheaper option than BNPL as it has no account keeping or late fees. Bianca decides to purchase a dress in, in person at a store. She utilizes an agreement that will allow her to pay for the t item in three installments and she can take it home today. So this is a little scenario, so I just press continue and it says, what type of arrangement is this considered with? Oh, sorry, then you've got to answer the question. <laughs> um, 
BNPL providers, there are a number of companies that offer BNPL arrangements to consumers in Australia. They include Afterpay, ZipPay, Brighty, BrightPay, PayRight, OpenPay, Hum, and Make It Mine. Additionally, Charlotte Henry, a Sydney-based partner at global law firm Herbert Smith Freehills, notes that licensed credit providers have also begun establishing their own BNPL alternatives, with the Commonwealth Bank of Australia partnering with Klarna Citigroup launching its city instalment plan and the National Australian Bank and CVA both launching credit card products that function as BLP. BNPL arrangements. Major players. Rajat Jain, Director and Practice Leader of Payments Advisory at Deliot, and Mark Bender, Principal of, of Monitor Deliot, note that the top five BNP, BNPL players in Australia are number one, Afterpay, with approximately 70% market share. ZipPay coming at number two, three is Hum, four OpenPay, and lastly five is Layby. Business models. Companies that offer BNPL arrangements utilize a number of business models. For example, Afterpay refers to its offering as being a budgeting tool and explicitly says it is not, it is not a line of credit. No interest or accounting fees are charged, but it does not Levi late fees. Most of its revenue comes from merchant fees. Meanwhile, ZipPay does not charge interest, but does charge an accounting account keeping fee. According to the company, its business model and market differ significantly from small amount of credit contracts providers and does not target consumers at risk of financial hardship. Flexi Group, which is the parent company of BNPL product Certigy EziPay, has said that 63% of Certigy's revenue is diverted from merchant fees and less than 2% comes from late or default fees. The National Consumer Credit Protection Act 2009. Genuinely, BNPL providers are not considered to be regulated under the National Consumer Credit Protection Act. However, BNPL arrangements are regulated as a credit under the ASIC Act 2001. Features of BNPL providers. ASIC has observed the following with respect to BNPL providers in Australia. Many providers belong to larger ASX listed groups. In some providers offer some providers offer continuing credit contracts exempt from the National Credit Act under Section 5 of the National Credit Code, while others are exempt because they do not charge a consumer for providing the credit. Some providers offer loans of between 1000 and 2000 while others provide consumers access to amounts up to 30,000. Some providers require weekly or fortnightly payments over six to eight weeks, while others allow repayments to be made over 60 months. Fee structures differ among providers, but can include establishment and redraw fees, 
regular account or administration fees, payment processing fees and missed payment fees or account closure fees. The table below briefly compares six BNPL providers including in ASIC's recent review in Rep 672. There is a table uh, just below saying comparing features of BNPL provider offerings. It, it's just all the different afterpay like BNPL options and then it's got the maximum loan amount, loan term and the average transaction value for the 2018 to 19 financial year so you can check that out if you like that's on uh, module number five or slide number five BNPL in Australia BNPL arrangements continue to be embraced by many consumers as a payment option for goods and services as part of the future evolution of the retail payments and consumer credit markets the growing, of, the growing use of BNPL arrangements, while strategy began offering BNPL arrangements to Australian consumers in 2000, these types of products, genuinely speaking, are relatively new to the market. Miss Henry says to the market for BNPL arrangements in Australia has grown rapidly over the past five years. She points to a finding from ASIC's 2018 report, Review of Buy Now, Pay Later Arrangements, which revealed that 400,000 consumers had used, sorry, had used at least one BNPL arrangement during the 2015 to 16 financial year. That number swelled five-fold to more than 2 million consumers in 2017 to 18. And according to Rep 672, there were more than 6.1 million open accounts with BNPL service providers in Australia as of June 2019. There is a picture below saying a growing industry. Um, it just has receipts and all of that statistics. Um, Mr Jane and Mr Bender says that more than 12 million Australians are now aware of BNPL with 3.5 million consumers using these arrangements, having one or more multiple accounts. Approximately 50,000 merchants in Australia now accept BNPL arrangements. COVID-19 and BNPL. Has COVID-19 played a role in any notable increase in the popularity of BNPL arrangements in Australia? Mr. Jane and Mr. Bender say that COVID-19 has positively impacted the popularity of BNPL. They say this is because of this photo of a shopping cart saying accelerated online commerce growth where BNPL has been more prevalent prevalent and easier to offer from merchant integration perspective. There's also then a photo of credit cards saying consumers re-evaluation of credit cards and in searching for alternative payment options, deciding to give PNP, BNPL a try. Credit cards and BNPL. According to the Reserve Bank of Australia, there was a 6.6 decline in the number of credit cards issued in Australia throughout 2019 to 20. In Rep 672, ASIC reported that while credit card usage had steadily increased between 2010 and 16, 
the use of credit cards was in decline in 2019. The regular observed a plateauing with respect to the total of value of personal credit card transactions over the recent years. While the total number of for the 2016 to 17 financial year represented a 3.6 increase on 2015 to 16. The figure for 2018 to 19 was only 0.3% higher for the final number for 2017 to 18. See the numbers in the table below. So the table below just has the financial year and the total value in billions of dollars. Um, worth of credit card transactions in the recent years. Um, so just looking at it, it has de decreased a little bit. Okay. Um, BNPL arrangements, first credit cards. Advantages of opting for BNPL arrangements over credit cards include not being charged interest on purchase sorry, purchases or an annual fee. Significantly easier and more accessible application process that than that for credit cards. Advantages for opting for credit cards over BNPL arrangements include the wide ranging the wide range of options available to address different needs for consumers, the perks of rewards perks and rewards often associated with holding specific credit cards and the ability the ability to build a good credit card history. Australia and its internal international counterparts. Miss Henry describes Australia as having a mature market in BNPL, replete with providers and adds that this is not a case globally. BNPL was relatively novel globally until the launch of the Swedish BNPL provider Lana. Now BNPL is on the rise globally and some Australian BNPL providers have started to expand into other markets. The risks of BNPL. How significant are the potential risks associated with BNPL? Ms Henry draws attention to Rep 600 in which ASIC reported that consumers may face a number of risks when using a BNPL arrangement. Whether these are risks are significant will depend on a consumer's individual circumstances. Mr. Jane and Mr. Bender note that from a consumer perspective, risk is low provided that the product is used in a reasonable way, with instalments being paid back on time. Circumstances in which risks might arise include one, when a consumer uses BNPL in combination with other financial products, so like her credit card or personal loans, and number two, when a consumer uses multiple BNPL accounts with different BNPL players, leading to a cumulative credit limit that is beyond their financial capability. Access to BNPL services. BNPL providers are not regulated under the National Credit Act and do not have the same legal obligations as other banks and lenders to assess whether a consumer will be able to repay their debt. This puts the onus on consumers to make that assessment themselves. Will they have enough money on each payment? Sorry. 
Will they have enough money on each payment due date to pay the instalment, in addition to all other financial commitments? The following example has been using has been created using ASIC case study. So Melissa. Melissa is the mother of three children and is in her early twenties. Recently she separated from her partner and is struggling to repay debts, including gas, electricity and phone bills. Despite having the accumulated approximately $10,000 of debt, Melissa was able to purchase several hundred dollars worth of shoes and clothing using BNPL arrangements. The risk of overcommitment. Overcommitment. This may happen if a consumer uses a credit card arrangement that causes new or additional financial difficulty. An overcommitted consumer may miss repayments but also may encounter other challenges, including difficulty affording essentials, for example, groceries and utilities, and financial stress. In Rep 600, ASIC also highlighted that evidence demonstrates the risk that some BNPL BNPL arrangements can increase a consumer's overall debt or contribute to financial overcommitment. Additionally, reports said, while each provider took steps to refuse some applications, the responsible lending obligations do not protect consumers when they are when they use a buy now pay later arrangement. ASIC provides two of the following examples to demonstrate some potential implications of both longer and shorter term BNPL arrangements. A longer term arrangement. A consumer purchases an item for $1,000 and opts in to make the minimum monthly repayments of $40, meaning the full amount will be repaid in two years. However, the consumer must also pay a monthly fee of $6 so they will actually repay the full amount in two years and five months. If a consumer chooses to access further credit after repayments have begun, the time taken to repay the debt and fees will be elongated. A short-term arrangement. A consumer earns $1,250 per fortnight after tax. He uses a $1,000 BNPL arrangement with fortnightly payments of $250, meaning that the repayment equals 20% of his fortnightly income. Given the sizable portion of the consumer's income that must be spent on the repayments, he might need, to, he might need more credit to cover his living expenses. There is now a little multiple choice question for you to answer as well. Um, this is on page 7. Part 2 of the risks of BNPL. Fees. If a consumer overcommits to several BNPL funded purchases, purchases at one time, there is a risk of them losing track of their finances and failing to make repayments on time. If a consumer makes a late payment or misses a repayment under the BNPL arrangement, they may incur... There's a photo of a guy running with money and says late payment fees and collection fees, which can be unlimited. And then there's also a photo of a bank with a credit card saying dishonored fees from where they're from their bank if there were in in this oh sorry. <laughs> dishonored fees from their bank if there were insufficient funds in their account when a direct debit transacted 
was attempted. Fees can vary from one BNPL, BNPL provider to another. Additionally, if a consumer uses a credit card to make a BNPL repayment and then fails to repay their credit card, they will end up paying interest on the credit card transaction as well. Financial hardship. Just as BNPL providers do not have access to consumer suitability for a loan, they are not required to have financial hardship provisions in place under the National Credit Act, nor do they belong need to belong to an external dispute resolution scheme. So, if a consumer utilises a BNPL arrangement and a subsequent change of circumstances means they are no longer able to afford repayments as agreed, what will their resource be? What are the options the consumer will need to have available in the absence of having a legal right to request a repayment arrangement based on financial hardship. Financial hardship, however, sorry, hardship services. However, Money Smart notes that most BNPL providers do not have hardship services, which consumers can contact if they encounter difficulty making repayments. Credit card rating. If a consumer defaults on repayments under a BNPL arrangement, it might also affect their credit card rating. Sorry, their credit rating. Many BNPL providers reserve the right to conduct credit checks and report information such as a missed or late payment and defaults to credit card reporting bodies. Additionally, some BNPL lenders will check a consumer's credit file when they sign up and then each time they utilize their services. Having, a several, having several BNPL applications and accounts on a credit card report might affect a consumer's future credit card applications, including a car loan or mortgage application. NOAA's BNPL funded purchases. The following is an example is a simple example to illustrate potential risks using BNPL arrangements. So I'll play that video for you now. Noah attends the Boxing Day sales. Oh, he buys a new pair of leather boots for $200. He needs to hold on to most of his own money for essentials, so opts to utilize a BNPL service to split his payments. Noah then visits a fashionable men's clothing store and finds a normally $600 shirt on sale for half price. He uses a second BNPL provider to purchase the shirt. Noah checks his bank balance two weeks later and finds that he's overdrawn. Before buying the sale items, he'd failed to check whether the funds in his account would be sufficient to make his repayments. Noah is now up for missed payment fees, charged by both BNPL providers, and an overdrawn fee charged by his bank. The missed payments may also be disclosed to a credit reporting body. The following case study comes from the Financial Rights Legal Center. Oh, Ursula? Ursula. <laughs> Uh, Ursula used a BNPL arrangement to buy several items before Christmas. Her sole income at the time was from Centrelink payments. After Christmas, Ursula 
learned that she owed $550 from several purchases she made throughout, from, sorry, throughout the BNPL provider. The BNPL provider subsequent, subsequently locked Ursula out of her account. She was no longer able to check what she owed. Not only was Ursula reliant on Centrelink payments for income, but she was in the process of repaying $400, a $400 loan to Centrelink and had other loans and bills. Ursula applied for hardship through the BNPL service and was told no the further she, sorry, and was told no further late fees would be charged to that account. She would be placed on hold. Ursula's debt was passed to the debt collectors and fees continued to be added to the original amount owing. Eventually, the debt collectors advised Ursula that she owed $1,323.42. That final total significantly exceeded the original amount owed and, the, and included late fees that were added after Ursula was assured that there would be no sorry, further late fees. BNPL and consumer behaviour. Who uses BNPL arrangements? The following table shows the use of BNPL arrangements in 2017 to 18 financial year by age range. ASIC 2018 report found that 50% of users were female and 42% were male. The table below just shows the ages and the percentages of users. So between the ages of 18 to 24, there were 26%, 25 to 34, 35%, 35 to 44, 20%, 45 to 54 is 12%, 55 to 64 is 4%, and 65 years plus is 1%. The Senate Economics Reference Committee observed in 2019 that young consumers perceive BNPL schemes as an alternative to credit cards. Why BNPL arrangements? ASIC's 2018 report found that 62% of consumers surveyed use, used a BNPL arrangement for the first time to buy goods and services online. 19% of consumers surveyed believe that a sales assistant has encouraged them to utilise a BNPL arrangement for the first time, and 86% of consumers surveyed that, sorry, reported that they would use BNPL arrangement again. Motivations of surveyed consumers to utilise a BNPL arrangement included one, enabling the purchase of more expensive items and more spending. Number two, enabling access to time-sensitive purchases such as sales or limited offers. Assisting, sorry, number three, assisting to meet an unexpected expense. Number four is convenience and ease of use. And number five is conclusion that BNPL arrangement would be more cost-effective than the other options. Um, ASIC also stated that 81% of consumers believe that BNPL arrangements enabled them to make purchases they would otherwise could not afford in a single payment. Additionally, 64% of consumers surveyed that they use that they spend more than they normally would, and 70% reported having made more spontaneous purchases. More recently, 
Ms. Henry says, ASIC reported in 2020 that the increasing availability of BNPL and growing competition within the retail credit market has blasted the level of choice available to consumers. Through its research in Rep 672, ASIC examined the impact of BNPL arrangements of consumers, some of whom were charged missed payment fees and reported financial stress and difficulty of other financial commitments. There is another video here, so I'll play that for you now. According to ASIC, 21% of surveyed BNPL users had missed a payment during the 12 months to October 2019. Close to half of those consumers were aged between 18 and 29. In the 2018-19 financial year, combined missed payment revenue for all BNPL providers included in ASIC's review was over $43 million with 45% of all transactions incurring multiple missed payment fees. ASIC's research also showed that in the 12 months to October 2019, 20% of consumers surveyed had cut back on or gone without essentials to make BNPL payments on time, while 15% reported having taken out an additional loan to make their payments. One in five consumers surveyed said they'd missed or were late paying other bills in order to make their BNPL payments on time. Cool, so that was the end of that video. More arrangements, more issues, question mark. As demonstrated in tables four and five, ASIC's research also indicated that the more BNPL arrangements a consumer had, the higher percentage who reported either having to cut back, go without essentials, or obtain an additional loan to make the BNPL payments on time. Table four, part one consumers, BNPL arrangement and outcomes. I had to cut back on or go without essentials e.g. meals to make my BNPL repayments on time. There's now like a table here saying BNPL arrangements and then also the percentage. So consumers with one repayment was 16%, consumers with two is 20% and consumers with three was 25%. Table five is part two consumers, BNPL arrangements and outcomes. I have taken out an additional loan to make my BNPL repayments on time. So again, it's the BNPL arrangements and the percentage. So consumers with one is 10%, consumers with two is 13%, and consumers with three is 20%. BNPL arrangements and credit card use. ASIC found a consistently higher proportion of BNPL users with credit cards incurred interest charges on their cards. Specifically, if for each month from October 2018 to January 19, between 66 and 73% of BNPL users incurred interest charges on their credit cards, and between 42 and 46% of other credit card users incurred interest charges on their credit cards. 
Additionally, the research showed that BNPL users were likely to use more of their credit card limits than other credit card holders, specifically for each month from October 18 to January 19. Between 38 and 43% of BNPL users used over 90% of their allocated limit on their credit cards, and between 16 and 18% of other credit card users used over 90% of their allocated limit on their credit cards. Ms. Henry notes that traditional credit credit services remain a practical alternative to BNPL arrangements and that the rise in popularity of BNPL has led to more traditional markets introducing new products in effort to match BNPL. For example, in 2020, one of the big four banks launched, launched a new interest-free credit card to compete with the BNPL services. Alternatives to BNPL. Are there alternatives to BNPL consumers should perhaps consider? Mr. Jane and Mr. Bender list the following options. Number one, interest-free credit cards. Two, incumbent installment-based credit cards with no with sorry, with longer interest-free periods and higher limits. Number three, early access to payroll overdraft capability. Number four is real, which offers targeted saving plans to facilitate facilitate debt-free shopping, um, it, <laughs> um, allowing consumers to pay in installments using credit card or debit card, holding the full amount on the card and deducting it over installments, bill smoothing, which creates, sorry, which breaks down large bills into smaller payments, and proper budgeting, for example, using the 50-20-30 rule to build up leisure money and spend it all at their own discretion. The regulation of BNPL providers. Ms. Henry notes that BNPL providers structure their arrangements differently. No one, no one method is adopted uniformly by the providers. Some providers say, she says, structure the BNPL arrangements so that they fall outside of being credit related, regulated under the National Credit Act, while other BNPL arrangements are regulated under the Act. The BNPL arrangements that fall outside of the National Credit Act do not charge interest and have equal repayments over a short time frame. Others, meanwhile, have fixed upfront and periodic fees that fall below a certain threshold. Responsible lending obligations. Ms. Henry says the market has recently been debating whether the BNPL industry should be required to meet the responsible lending obligations in relation to the provision of credit as set out in the National Credit Act. She says financial counselling Australia and consumer groups such as the consumer Action Law Centre have expressed the need for greater regulation and BNPL services to bring them in line with traditional credit card regulations. The Act of the ASIC Act. BNPL arrangements fall within the scope of the ASIC Act credit, Ms. Henry notes. Consequently, arrangements must be structured to comply with the numerous consumer protection provisions provisions including the 
prohibition <laughs> um, on misleading or deceptive conduct, unconscionable conduct, and unfair contract terms. In addition, the products must be designed and distributed in a particular way and ASIC has powers to intervene in the products, potentially banning or restricting them should ASIC determine that there is a significant consumer detriment. Anti-Money Laundering and Counter-Terrorism Financial Act 2006 An update from the UK. Mr. Jane and Mr. Bender highlight the UK's Financial Conduct Authority has reviewed the BNPL industry and recommended to bring it within the regulatory framework as a matter of urgency. They note that this could have, Im have an impact on the regulation of BNPL in Australia. Self-regulation. Industry self-regulation is also emerging is also an emerging theme for BNPL arrangements, Henry says. The Australian Financial Industry Association and the, its eight BNPL provider members are developing a BNPL code of practice in response to recommendations in Rep 600 and by the Senate Economics Reference Committee. AFIA says that the code has gone through an extensive consultation process to ensure that insights from a broad spectrum of stakeholders are included. AFIA CEO Diane Tate describes the code as a world's first and says AFIA and BNPL members are looking for it to go above and beyond the law. At the time of writing, AFIA had advised that the BNPL Code of Practice would have been published and become effective from the 1st of March, 2021. There is now another multiple choice um, question here as well. Design and Distribution Obligations, DDO. On October the 5th, 2021, DDO will be imposed and will impact the design of BNP, sorry, BNPL products and their Distribution. Design. With respect to design, Ms. Henry says, BNPL providers, including those providing unregulated credit, will need to turn their minds to which segments of the consumer market BNPL products are designed for, called a target market. Distribution. Ms. Henry explains that BNPL providers will need to assess how they distribute their products because because they will need to ensure that the distribution activities are appropriately restricted to satisfy ASIC's requirements. BNPL providers must take reasonable steps to ensure that only those in target market acquire BNPL products. In practice, she says that this includes consideration, for example, of how BNPL products are marketed as well as the different interfaces through which they are sold. Fit for purpose. Ms. Henry says that the product and products and TMDs will need to be reviewed regularly to ensure that they remain fit for purpose considering all the data and BNPL providers have collected over a particular period. Where are particular triggers 
events occurs, which means that the TMDs are no longer appropriate. The products will need to be immediately unavailable until such time as the review has completed. Further, for further reading on DDO, you can click a link there and it will give you some more information. There is another multiple choice question at the end of this slide as well. Conclusion. This learning content has spotlighted the BNPL industry in Australia, which continues to evolve. Consumers today have numerous options to consider if they wish to utilise the BNPL arrangements for the payment of their goods and services. But alongside its benefits, the BNPL brings with it a number of risks and depending on a consumer's individual circumstances, it may potentially lead to individuals incurring significant debts. In recent times, ASIC's Rep 672 has offered critical insights into the effective sorry, into the effect of entry in BNPL's arrangements on a number of Australians. A question persists as to whether or not the industry should be subject to responsible lending obligations, but there's also anticipation about the release on the BNPL code of practice by AFIA which at the time of the writing was in amendment. That has come to the end of that uh, episode for the CPD articles. Just to recap, that was the Australians Buying Now and Paying Later module, which was released on the 1st of March 2021. I hope you enjoyed and don't forget to complete that module as soon as you can. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Welcome to another episode within this season of the CPD Articles. Today we'll be going over the death benefit decisions which was published on the 15th of March 2021. You can access this through your Kaplan portal. Enjoy! The distribution of superannuation death benefits. When an individual commences a superannuation pension, it is important that they are certain how the balance of their income will be distributed if they die before their funds are exhausted. Usually superannuation does not automatically form a part of a deceased estate upon their death and therefore may not be accounted for by their will. So, if an individual fails to take specific action before death, the trustee of the superannuation fund may have a discretion to determine who should receive the remaining funds even if the will indicates otherwise. To provide more estate planning certainty, you may be able to make a beneficiary nomination on your account to bind the trustee to follow your wishes or to give the trustee guidance as to who should receive the superannuation death benefit. Death benefit nominations. What is a death benefit nomination? This is where an, an individual gives the trustee of their superannuation fund a notice requesting the payment of their death benefits to either their estate or specified dependent. Typically, there are four types of death nomination benefit nominations. There are binding death nomination, a written direction from a member to their superannuation trustee outlining to whom they want 
some or all of their superannuation death benefit to be distributed as long as the nomination is valid at the time of the individual's death the trustee is bound to bound by law to adhere to the nomination number two there's a reversionary beneficiary this involves an individual who receives a superannuation income stream nominating a beneficiary to whom their payments will automatically revert upon their own death. As long as the nomination is valid of the time of the individual's death, the trustee is bound by law to adhere to the nomination. There's also a non-binding death benefit nomination. An individual provides a written guide as to whom they want some or all of their superannuation death benefit to be distributed upon their death. But even in circumstances where the individual's nomination is valid at the time of their death, the trustee retains ultimate discretion as to who the superannuation death benefits will be distributed. Lastly, there's a non-lapsing nomination. An individual provides a written direction to their superannuation trustee that communicates to whom they want some or all of their superannuation death benefit to be distributed provide these are nominations these nominations are permitted by the trustee they will typically remain in place forever unless the individual cancels or replaces a nomination with a new nomination if the nomination is valid at the time of the individual's death the trustee is bound to follow it different funds different options there are types of death benefit nominations available to superannuation fund members varies across superannuation funds depending on the specific rules of the fund. This is because while trustees must deal with death benefit distributions in accordance with the rules of the relevant superannuation entity, the law does not require them to offer any of these specific death benefit nominations to their members. Henry is the trustee of a superannuation fund and Nick is a member. Nick has nominated a reversionary benefit for a payment of death benefit. Henry must follow Nick's instruction for payment of the benefit unless... So you do have to answer that question. Taxation of death benefit pensions. The income received by a beneficiary from a death benefit pension is not necessarily tax-free. The taxation depends on the deceased individual's age at the time of death as well as the beneficiary's age at the, at the time of each income payment. This is outlined in Table 1. So there is a Table 1 taxation of pension beneficiaries in a superannuation fund. In the left column we've got age of deceased dependent, then in the middle we've got tax component and then tax treatment. So if either if either or both age 60 or over it oh I don't know. You'll have to look at the table. <laughs> um but um it says one plus Medicare Levi where applicable and two this does not include situations involving cap-defined benefit pensions where the income may contain untaxed elements. A death benefit income stream is considered a requirement 
phase income stream and therefore earnings are capital gains of pension assets are tax-free regardless of age. Reversionary pensions. Daniel Butler, director of DBA Lawyers and Bryce Figgett, special counsel at DBA Lawyers, note the ATO's description of a reversionary pension is taxation ruling. A superannuation income stream ceases as soon as the member in receipt of the superannuation income dies unless the dependent beneficiary of the deceased member is automatically entitled. Under the governing rules of the superannuation fund or the rules of the superannuation income stream to receive an income stream on the death of the member. If a dependent beneficiary of the deceased member is automatically entitled to receive the income stream upon the member's death, the superannuation income stream continues. Lump sum versus pension. When a death benefit is paid to a beneficiary as a pension, it means that the individual's fund remains within the superannuation environment. In contrast, when a where a beneficiary receives a benefit of a lump sum payment, they may encounter difficulty in trying to return their funds to superannuation to a superannuation fund as a result of the restrictions imposed by the law. Death benefit pensions, reversionary or not, can help the eligible beneficiaries retain the benefit in the super environment. Many SMSFs invested in bully bulky assets, for example, residential and or commercial property, the surviving spouse can commence a death benefit pension to enable the assets to, to be retained within the self-managed super fund. Brad Hoffman, manager, SMSF and at MGD Wealth, shares his perspective as to the key benefits of a reverse sorry, reversionary <laughs> pensions, sorry. Um, so I'm just going to play a video for you. A reversionary pension is one that continues to be paid after the original member has passed away. Uh, if it's the member's intention to leave some or their benefits to a dependent, uh, a reversionary pension can be beneficial because it ensures that members' intentions as to who it's to go to are honoured. Uh, the pension will continue seamlessly without any additional paperwork required. If the surviving beneficiary has transferred balance cap issues, then it can allow an extra amount of pension to stay in pension in the time of phase for an additional 12 months after the date of death. The reversionary beneficiary has largely the same rights as the original member. They can cancel the pension, however, if they do, if they do so, uh, that amount must be withdrawn from super because it does retain its character as a death Cool, so that was the video. So ensuring an individual's intentions are honoured. As Mr. Hoffman explains, a reversionary nomination offers an individual greater certainty that their intended beneficiary will receive an ongoing pension after their own death, as long as the beneficiary is eligible dependent at death. 
A similar process compared to non-reversionary arrangements, opting for a reversionary nomination also means that the beneficiary will likely to have to deal with a lower administrative burden at the time of grief. Grief. This is because a reversionary pension automatically switches from the deceased to the beneficiary. What is likely to be required for an automatic reversion? A death certificate, a relationship de declaration and trustee minutes confirming the individual's death and reversion of the pension. Also speaking to genuinely seamless transfer process associated with reversionary pensions, Liam Short of Verante Financial Planning observes, Reversionary pensions are rarely challenged as they are fixed in, re in place usually at the start of a pension when the member has capacity to nominate a beneficiary. Grandfathering of rever reversionary pensions. A further benefit of reversionary nomination is that it can allow a grandfathered account-based pension to retain its concessional income test assessment for Centrelink purposes. Where an account-based pension was established before the 1st of January 2015 and as an individual received income support payments or held a Commonwealth Seniors Health Card, immediately before that date, the income test that applied on the 31st of December 2014 continues to be used in respect of the individual's income. So, these account-based pensions are grandfathered in that, in that the old income test rules apply to them rather than being deemed. If a reversionary benefit is then receiving income support payments or holds a CSHC from the date they, they started receiving the deceased individual's pension, Grandfathering also applies to the reversionary pension. Potential transfer balance cap benefits. So you've got a question here to answer, which is what is the TBC lifetime limit applied to? The value of a reversionary pension based on the value of the pension at the date of the individual's death counts towards a beneficiary's personal TBC. However, there is a 12-month window from the time of death before the value of the pension is included against the beneficiary's TBC. The potential benefit here is illustrated by the following example. John and Jenny. John and Jenny are a married couple with a self-managed super fund. They are its only two members. The couple commences account-based pensions for $1 million each. The assets of their superannuation fund is a commercial sorry self-managed super fund is a commercial property valued at 1.8 million if john was to pass away jenny could only retain 600,000 of his benefits in the super um sorry in their self-managed super fund if she retained all of her 1 million the figure represents 1.6 million the personal tbc at the time of writing minus the one million she already used to commence her account-based pension. However, if John's 
pension was reversionary, Jenny could keep the entire $1 million in John's account alongside the $1 million in her own account in pension phase until 12 months after John's death. At the end of the 12 month period, Jenny would need to commute the excess above her TBC either by receiving a portion of death, John's death benefit as a lump sum or by rolling a portion of it into her own account based pension back to accumulation phase. She has had the benefit of both pensions being in pension phase and hence able to access the exempt current pension income concessions for 12 months. Eligible reversionary pension beneficiaries. An individual can only be a reversionary beneficiary if they are eligible to receive death benefit, death benefits in the form of an income stream. The Superannuation Industry Act in 1993 and superannuation industry regulations in 1994 state that where a member passes away from the 1st of July 2007, only the following individuals may be eligible to receive a death benefit income stream. So you have to be an individual spouse at the time of their death, a child under the age of 18 years old, a child at least 18 but less than 25 years old who is a financial dependent of the individual a child of any age who has a disability and as defined in the disability services act a personal sorry a person other than a child of the individual who is interdependency relationship with the individual for example a person who lives with them and a close personal relationship exists whereby one or the both provide for the financial and domestic support and personal care of each other. And lastly, a person other than a child of the individual who was financially dependent on the individual at their time of death. Where a death benefit pension is paid to the deceased child, the child must genuinely commute the income stream by the time they age the re sorry, they reach the age 25 and take balance as a tax-free lump sum. A death benefit pension paid to a child can only continue beyond age 25 if the child is permanently disabled. It is important to note that some superannuation funds may further limit who can be named in a reversionary nomination. For instance, some funds may only permit a reversionary nomination to the numbers, member's spouse. The potential drawbacks or disadvantages. Some superannuation funds may not allow a reversionary nomination to be modified or removed without commencing the pension. So if an individual divorces or separates from the reversionary beneficiary, they may need to commute the pension and commence a new one in order to nominate another beneficiary. This situation can also lead to a grandfathered pension status being lost. Additionally, a reversionary pension can only have one reversionary beneficiaries, a BDN, sorry, BDBN in contrast allows an individual to split their death benefit between a number of beneficiaries. Verante Financial Planning's Liam Short notes. 
Under a reversionary pension, there is genuinely less flexibility for trustees and executors to manage superannuation as part of the person's overall estate, which could mean which could make it challenging to distribute a person's overall wealth evenly. This, if this is what is preferred among the, their beneficiaries. Other drawbacks of a reversionary pension include the limitations that apply as to precisely who can be nominated as a reversionary beneficiary. You now have four questions as well to answer at the end of that. Binding death benefit nomination. In the absence of order reversion, as soon as practicable, practicable sorry practicable is not defined but will generally be six to twelve months and if the extenuating circumstances may be longer a deceased superannuation death benefits will have to be paid from their fund as either a lump sum death benefit a new pension to the eligible beneficiaries or a combination of both the death benefit simply cannot stay in the accumulation phase. Mr. Hoffman may, sorry, notes that when a member's pension ceases without an automatic reversion, the original pension amount falls back into the accumulation phase and the trustee must either look to a BDBN to determine where the benefits are to be paid or, sorry, or to make a determination as to whom the benefits should be paid. A pension seizes upon an individual's death unless there is an automatic continuation of the pension. However, from the 1st of July 2012, although the member's pension is considered to have ceased upon the death, the portion of the fund's assets will continue to be entitled to the claim exempt current pension in income until the beneficiaries are paid out as a lump sum or the death benefit income stream. Accordingly, the tax, the fund's tax liability for that period of the time should be no different than if a reversionary pension had been in place. When might a binding nomination be useful? A binding nomination can be made during the accumulation phase as well as the pension phase. Unlike a reversionary nomination, which can only be made some, by someone who has started a pension. If the deceased has started a pension, a binding nomination or non-reversionary nomination on the pension offers a possibility of paying, of paying the death benefits as a lump sum to a beneficiary who is not eligible to receive the death benefit as an income stream. For example, an adult child without disability. If the member wishes to enforce where the benefit, sorry, benefit is to go upon their death, they can set out those wishes in a binding death benefit nomination, assuming the fund's governing rules allow it. The following example provides a scenario where a binding nomination could be appropriate. David and Diane. David and Diane were married later in life. They... Each, sorry, they each have children from a prior marriage and also have 800,000 in a superannuation pension phase. They are also, sorry, they are considering making a binding death, binding death 
benefit nominations. Should either pass away, they would like the survivor to have $200,000 of their superannuation death benefits with the balance to pay to their adult children. In the event of one's death, the surviving spouse will commence a death benefit pension with 200000 remaining. The remaining 600000 can be paid as a lump sum to the nominated adult children or alternatively can go to their respective estate and be distributed according to their respective wills, which can nominate their children as the beneficiaries. The TBC situation. When it comes to the TBC, reversionary and non-reversionary pensions, i.e. death benefit pensions, commenced, commenced as a result of a BDBN, are treated differently. As mentioned earlier, a reversionary pension will not count towards a reversionary beneficiary's transfer balance account until 12 months from the day of the deceased's death however the amounts the amount of that counts towards the tbc is the pension value at the date of death for this reason arguably arguably if we had a crystal ball knowing that the market were too expensive negative returns a reversionary pension would not be ideal in contrast, a non-reversionary pension counts towards the beneficiary's TBC at the time of its commencement. The amount that counts towards the TBC is the pension value at the time of the commencement too. The practical, sorry, the practical aspect. Additionally, a binding domination non-reversionary nomination on the deceased existing pension allows a new pension to be commenced in the name of the eligible beneficiary, i.e. a spouse. As such, it can commence at a time that suits some SMSFs as long as the death benefit is paid out as soon as practicable. From a practical perspective, this approach can save some additional requirements interim financials, minimum payment requirements, reporting just after the date of death. All right, so you, yeah, now have another um, question, multiple choice. Understanding the options. Are there any commonly misunderstood risks or drawbacks associated with the reversionary and non-reversionary pensions? What the fund says. With respect to the reversionary pensions, Mr. Hoffman says it's essentially that a trust funds, sorry, a funds trust deed both allows for the payment of reversionary pensions and enforces that election on the trustee following a member's death. Anthony Dow, manager, advice technical at Aware Super, similarly emphasizes the importance of knowing precisely what a specific fund will allow upon a member's death. So I've just got a short video here for you to watch. Listen. Oh, sorry, one second. Reversion pension, or who's, who wants to receive one, or the member wants the beneficiary to receive one. That's never in the hands of the beneficiary or the member making the nomination for their benefit. Um, that discretion does come down to the trustee of the super fund. Um, and so 
some funds um, may have a standard practice, since it is probably worthwhile as a, as a, as a planner or advisor and the, the member um, investigating a bit further about what that the fund provides on debt. So some funds um, I know uh, used you used to only ever pay a lump. If it's not a, if it's not a reversionary nomination, they would only ever pay a lump sum debt benefit. So um, that's something that might, might be worth investigating. Some funds are more restrictive in, in what pensions they pay. Sometimes they'll only pay off your reversionary nomination to the spouse, and you don't get a choice if you have an interdependent or a financial dependent um, or even a, a dependent child. Um, those funds may not offer you the reversionary nomination for those, those beneficiaries. You might have to go opt for the non reversionary pension and the hope that they will continue. They'll use their discretion to pay a pension. Yeah. Okay, that was the video. I'm not sure if you understood that because even I didn't. <laughs> um, he was a bit mumbly. But um, moving on. New pension, new nomination. Mr. Hoffman says that there is a there was a BDBN that was inconsistent with the reversionary nomination. Many trustees are silent as to which nomination takes precedence. For members of a super Sorry, self-managed super fund, they often end up with more than one pension being paid from a fund. It is important to remember that each pension is a separate contract between the trustee and the member and a reversionary nomination needs to be made for each pension. A reversionary pension versus a BDBN which takes precedence. In a 2019 article, Super Central examined the controversy regarding whether a reversionary pension trumps as trumps a BDBN or whether the converse was true. Mr. Short notes that some superannuation and self-managed super fund trustees may allow a BDBN to override a rever reversionary nomination but the vast majority do not. The conclusion reached in the super central piece was that, sorry, was that where, where a fund's governing rules are silent on this issue, a reversionary pension would trump for two reasons. For one, if the pension automatically transfers when a member dies, it has ceased to be a superannuation interest on the member. Consequently, the member's BDBN cannot apply. The article draws a comparison with this, with this situation where the land is held in joint tenancy and one of the joint tenants dies. In that scenario, the land automatically transfers from the surviving joint tenant. It does not become part of the estate of the deceased joint tenant. Number two, a pension nomination operates a power con conferred on the member by governing rules as, the, as to the allocation of the pensions of the member's death. Uh, so now you've just got another multiple choice to answer. In the courts, situations may arise where superannuation death benefits become assets of the deceased estate and this occurs, sorry, where this occurs, those assets may become the subject of legal disputes. Mr. Hoffman highlights the situation where it's intention of the spouses to leave their superannuation or part thereof 
to each other, but neither reversionary pensions nor BDBNs have made have been made. In that situation, if the spouses are also nominated as the sole executor under each other's wills, issues may arise. Mr. Hoffman refers to the Queensland Supreme Court judgment in McTonish vs. McTonish, um, a case that reinforces the need for these kinds of considerations in estate planning. Yeah, um, this is Mc, McIntosh vs. McIntosh. Okay. Um, the applicant was the mother and the respondent was the father of a 41-year-old man, James, who died at the time of death. The mother, sorry, at the time of his death, the mother and father had been divorced for over 30 years. James had no surviving spouse or children and had no valid will. And so, under the rules of the intestacy, his estate was to be distributed equally between his mother and father. The mother applied for and was granted the letters of administration and sought payment of James sorry, James's superannuation death benefit to her personally. She sought those funds on the basis that she and James lived in the in- interdependency relationship at the time of death. The father's lawyer argued that the mother as administrator of James's estate was in fiduciary f-i-d-u-c-i-a-r-y relationship with the beneficiaries of the estate the decision justice atkinson concluded that the mother was a fiduciary who had a conflict between her fiduciary sorry duty to the estate for the pursuit of possible receipt of the benefit or gain of for the estate and for her personal interest in the pursuit of possible receipt of benefit and gain for herself in applying for the superannuation death benefit to be paid to her personally rather than the estate she was preferring her own interest to her duty as legal personal representative to make application for the funds to be paid as the legal person representative. As a result, she was in breach of her fiduciary duty as administrator of the estate. Mr. Hoffman notes that the court held that the mother had to disgorge those benefits to the estate. Consider if McTonish vs. McTonish is a reversionary nomination Sorry, if a reversionary nomination had been made or a BDBN in favour of the mother had been put in place, could the ultimate decision as well as the costs inherent in the super Supreme Court case have been avoided? You can click there and watch, um, access the full judgment for that story. Ensuring a valid BDBN. What is required for a valid BDBN is prescribed by the S, sorry, CIS Act and CIS regulations. For a nomination to be valid, it must be made to the funds trustee in writing and clearly set out the proportion of the benefit to be paid to each nomination per, 
sorry, nominated person. It may also include the type of benefit payment, for example, a lump sum or an income stream. Be signed by the member in the presence of two witnesses over the ages of 18, both of whom are not nominated as beneficiaries. It must include a signed witness declaration and be sent to the trustee. A further requirement is that only dependents under superannuation law can be nominated, a term that includes spouses, children of any age, any person financially dependent on the member, any person in inter, sorry, independent, interdependency relationship with the member, and a legal representative. Um, when the member has made the nomination, it will be valid for three years from the date it was signed or non-lapsing depending on the superannuation trust deed options. A BDBN can be renewed, changed, updated or revoked any time. A further decision of the Queensland Supreme Court, Munro v Munro, highlights the need for precise adherence to the technical requirements for a BDBN. You can access the full judgment um, on this page as well. Did you know, in 2008, the ATO ruled the Section 59 of the CIS Act and Regulation 6.17a of the CIS regulations do not apply to the self-managed super funds. The result is that the governing rules of a self-managed super fund may permit members to make a death benefit nominations that are binding of the trustee whether or not the circumstances whether or not in circumstances that accord with the rules in regulation 6.17a of the cis regulations that said a death benefit nomination is not binding on the trustee to the extent that it nominates a person who cannot receive a benefit in accordance with operating the standards in the cis regulations Advisors and clients, is there any general guidance that Mr. Hoffman and Mr. Dell could offer regarding advisors' conversations with clients when it comes to reversionary and non-reversionary pensions? So now I'm going to play a short video as well of Brad, Brad Hoffman. So the first thing I, I uh, do is check the trustee. Not all trustees allow for reversionary pensions and some deeds have certain conditions around those pensions. So check that deed. Before a person uh, reaches pension age, there should have been some consideration given as to whether or not they uh, have a binding death benefit nomination. If they do have such a nomination, it's important to ensure that any reversionary pension that we set up uh, works well with that nomination and isn't in conflict with it. Uh, most of the time you find that disputes arise where there's either a lack of clarity in relation to documentation or there's conflicts uh, between various documents. Additionally, as, as previously said, where a surviving spouse is likely to have transfer balance cap issues, uh, a reversionary pension can allow a larger amount of stay in pension phase for up to 12 months after the death of the, the primary member. Finally, pensions are at their heart contractual arrangements between the trustee and the member. 
So if you have an existing pension, which is not a reversionary pension, usually it can be made reversionary simply by an agreement uh, in writing between the member and the trustee, assuming that there's nothing in the deed itself or the original pension documentation uh, which would be contrary to that kind of amendment. So that was that video. Um, similarly, Mr. Dahl shares his thoughts around what to keep in mind when considering whether a client should nominate a reversionary beneficiary. I'm sorry, we have another video. So being aware of who can receive a, a debt benefit um, in the first place and then who can receive that debt benefit as a pension. Um, like I said, the, um, the spouse interdependent, financial dependent, they can receive their debt benefits um, and, a, and a dependent child. If you're an adult child, um, they're very dependent on the, on the member, then you can't receive a debt benefit pension. Um, so just being aware of who can receive those um, pensions and then also perhaps which, which product provider you're going to um, and making sure that they can and, and will allow, um, if you want someone else besides your spouse, like an independent or financial dependent to receive a, a pension, um, make sure that they will pay to those um, beneficiaries rather than upfront. Because, like I said, some funds will only offer a reversionary nomination to a spouse. Um, so, just being clear on what what um, rules the fund or what what beneficiaries the fund will allow in that case as well. Consider: Can a non-reversionary pension be converted? into a reversionary pension using death benefit nomination. It is argued that a BDBN can effectively convert the pension from a non-reversionary to a reversionary, provided that the funds governing rules or the pension documents permitted this to occur. But last not least, when discussing estate planning issues with clients, a clear professional line must be drawn between the advisors and the lawyers to ensure that the advisors meet compliance requirements and the professional standards. Where applicable, advisors should refer to the clients to legal professionals for specialist advice. Conclusion This learning content has centred on some of the key considerations for advisors and their clients when discussing the possibility of a superannuation death benefits during the estate planning process. If an individual's intends to leave some or all of their benefits to a dependent, a reversionary pension can be, uh, sorry, can be beneficial because it will ensure that the individual's intentions as to who the pension is going is to go to will be honored by the trustee. Additionally, a reversionary beneficiary will, leave, will find themselves with largely the same rights as the original member with respect to those funds. A non-reversionary pension, on the other hand, is worth consideration in circumstances where an individual wants a, for a benefit to either go to their estate or to a non-tax dependent beneficiary. Of course, before any decision is made, it is essential for a client to fully understand both benefits and drawbacks of the different options and thorough informed advice will be a critical part of the process. Awesome, then we've just got all the references and the disclaimer. That is
is the end of that podcast for today. It was called Death Benefit Decisions and you can access this through your Kaplan portal. Again, it was released on the 15th of March, 2021. Thank you and have a lovely day.